Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? It's card number 35, the lilac branch. And this is a special card in the card deck. Why, why is that? Why it's special is it's one of two illustrations that intentionally does not come with a word. And so it's really up to us to imagine our own words of wisdom and gratitude from these plants. The wild card, whenever we hold a gratitude circles, throws people off because it's so much easier to respond to a prompt or a question. And it's always a little bit nerve wracking when you get the wild card because you're like, okay, now it's on me. And how do I want to interpret it? So I can't wait to hear the story from our artist, Arlene Kim Suda today and our conversation with Katrina Spade, who I met at South by Southwest. We were both pitching environmental projects a few years ago. I was working on the Los Angeles River and painting this sort of vision of a new Los Angeles around this 51-mile ecosystem. And Katrina's pitch was about composting human bodies. And I will say I was like, I've been in sort of awe of her sense. And so it was amazing to reach out to her, to hear how her project is coming along. Her company is called Recompose, and she composts dead people and provides funeral services. And it's such a fascinating space and industry, really, that I honestly have not spent a lot of time looking at. And so it's a fascinating conversation and I think a great way to reflect the lilac as a wild card and really let our imagination unfold. I'm so excited to hear your story, Arlene, for the lilac branch, because oftentimes for me, it's this reminder of the winter wildness. Looking at this card in particular and the illustration, it is very much the embodiment of the season that we're in this hemisphere where everything is has been shed and all of that energy in nature is kind of moving down into the earth. So much can be felt but not seen during this time. So Arlene, tell us what is emerging for you around this winter lilac branch. So one of the surprising things that has come up for me when cycling through the themes of the Gratitude Blooming Cards for season two of the podcast is how the cards provide a way to see how our relationship to these themes change over time. So we first talked about the lilac branch last winter, and here is part of what I wrote back then. When drawing this branch, I felt the thin line between death and life, absence and abundance. What happens when you speed up time and watch autumn lead to winter and then winter to spring and so on. The branch seemed to want me to know that even in the bareness and silence of its season, there is an incredible amount of possibility, life and beauty still present. When I look back at the year, fast forwarding to now, I feel so much nostalgia. That feeling of beautiful sadness that has come up a lot in our podcasts and gratitude circles. 
I remember recording the original story and feeling so much gratitude in the moment, being able to be aware of and experience the fullness, the wholeness, the vastness of life without judgment or desire through the reflection that came up with this card. My hope is that this bare branch of the lilac plant ambiguously dying or full of possibility will provide a small opening for you to feel the vastness and miracle of life in all its ambiguity. Way to embrace the wild card with ambiguity, Arlene. (laughs) I love that. And I also want to just give a quick shout out to all of our new listeners. After the Simon Sinek episode that dropped two weeks ago, we've just had a flood of new listeners. We want to welcome you to the Gratitude Blooming podcast. And and always a big thank you to those of you who have been with us for a while and really These conversations are at the intersection of nature, art, and culture. And like, how do we sort of bring these elements together? And for us at this point, it's really an emerging conversation to really kind of hear from different people who are on the front lines of what we think is fascinating work in terms of what kind of world do we want to live in? And I just talked to a friend and she said that Oprah said that wholeness is the new wellness. And when we think about nature and culture, it's that wholeness. It's not one versus the other. And these things are separate. It's about all these things coming together. And I so appreciate these weekly explorations with our listeners where we look to nature for the clues of around what is the new paradigm that we're stepping into in this day and age. And these cards are an opportunity to get some insights from nature, like how do we navigate change? And winter is is a tough season. I mean, it's cold, it's dark, it's hard to be in that season of the year and also the season of our life. And so I love that we're moving in from impermanence to this winter lilac wild card as a way to kind of embrace that time of our life. Arlene, you brought up this recognition of looking back in time and also being reminded that we're always in this cycle of and death too. Yeah, you capture that challenge. Like, is this very bare branch dying or is it just full of this potential and just waiting for spring to blossom? And it's like such a great space of ambiguity. Whether you're an entrepreneur like we are and you're just like, Hey, is this thing, you know, on the ropes or is, are we like one step away from releasing something super powerful? And I think all of us in our lives are just constantly navigating this sort of, am I feeling scarcity and fear or am I feeling abundance and hope? And, and how do we sometimes like break out of those cycles? My favorite quote, which I've said many times from Brene Brown is the opposite of scarcity is an abundance. The opposite of scarcity is enough. And I think that's like the fundamental question that we get to ask ourselves. And that's what gratitude helps us do is like, what is enough? And how am I defining that? And how do I sort of acknowledge that and embrace that in more intentional ways? So I am excited to share the conversation 
that we had with Katrina. And it's just amazing how we've had such different kinds of guests sharing about this topic of this winter season of life, which is kind of transitioning out of life and embracing death. And we've had Linda Ong, a hospice nurse, talk about the dying process. And now we're here to talk about just like, almost like what inspires someone to devote their life to helping people think about the very end. What do, what does one do with their physical body? And we're going to start with a clip of Katrina just talking about like what inspired her to even think about death as the forefront of her work. I grew up with lilacs. I guess may, probably many people did. I think they grow all over the place. Because I'm in Seattle now and then we have one in our yard and I grew up in New Hampshire and we had them there. This card is making me think of childhood just a little bit and thinking about what in my childhood led me to do this work. So my parents were in medicine, like my both cared for people as they were dying, as doctors do. But the difference from some doctors, I think, is that they were pretty accepting of the fact that people die and would come home and speak relatively matter of fact about patients dying to the, to us, their kids. So I think there's like a <clears throat> foundation that they laid of just a reality of mortality that they gave me and my siblings. And also it was rural New Hampshire and they gardened I, I would like to say that as a young person, I gardened and composted and stuff, but I was like, that is a boring chore that I'm not going to do. So I would not do it as much as I probably should have, but they gardened, my parents gardened, grew our own vegetables, raised animals that we ate, and then composted everything. So, you know, more of the awareness of the cycles of life, just setting the foundation for this work. Yeah, I appreciate also her honesty about like, yeah, composting was not cool as a chore as a kid, even though that really environmental focus. And she was an architect by training. And so really thinking about systems and design and how do we think holistically. And I think you're, we're seeing a larger movement around what's called the circular economy, right? And so instead of extracting and dumping and sort of single purpose, single use products, like how do we think about whole cycles, right? So that way things are repurposed constantly. And so I, I love that systems approach that she has. And how she doesn't shy away from thinking about death. Like it was so matter of fact, and I was fascinated by just what she's noticed collectively, the relationship between death and even winter. I still remember her talking about how winter is the time when people transition most often. And so we're going to just hear a clip of her sharing about what she's noticed after doing this for close to two decades now and a beautiful story of someone who became compost for their neighborhood. It's like such a weird thing to think about, but it all, it almost hits the point of we are nature. We are. That's just what it is. I'm thinking about the fact, which is an interesting one, that more people die in the winter than at other times during the year. And in fact, they die during the holiday season. 
And I think some of that is biological and physiological and how we're stressed and maybe not taking the best care of ourselves during that time. But I wonder if some of it's also about that winter time somehow. But there's a real pattern year after year that funeral homes and funeral industry is aware of. In the winter, in fact, next week, we'll have a solstice memorial event where we get to welcome all of the families of the people we've composted over the past year and talk about those, very much talk about those cycles. And then we get to hear from each of them, well, in a slideshow fashion, we get to see each of the people that have died and come to us and then read what those the family did with their soil whether it was donate the soil to conservation land and projects or grew a grove of trees in their, you know, hometown. Or my favorite story is of a client who, I shouldn't say favorite story. They're all great. But one of my favorite stories is a client, his name was Wayne, and he's his sister has said we can use his name. And his sister Marie came, and after we turned Wayne's body into this nutrient-rich soil. She came and picked it up. It's a whole cubic yard. It's a pickup truck's worth that we're creating per person. And she brought it home to Wayne's Seattle neighborhood. And all of his neighbors came with buckets. And all of them brought some of Wayne's soil to their gardens. Because Wayne was like an avid gardener. And I just love the idea of Wayne's neighbors gardening every morning, say next spring, and thinking of their neighbor and being connected in that way. That's a whole other way to think about legacy, isn't it? I love how Wayne was like, is going to be part of the soil and fertilizing the whole neighborhood. It's so primal. When I used to work on Los Angeles River, I would make this joke that we're all drinking dinosaur piss. Right. Like we sometimes we're like, oh, my water is Fiji water. I have Perrier water. I have Arrowhead water. (laughs) And we like make all these distinctions. And it's like, no, water is just constantly being recycled and repurposed. And there is no distinction in some ways. And so then it's just like, oh, there is no distinction. It's like we we came from dust. We returned to dust like we and how do we sort of just really embrace that. And I think part of the challenge is obviously death has a whole emotional, psychological kind of element. It's something that oftentimes we don't want to sort of talk about or embrace. And we've recently, with the passing of our producer, Brian, and sharing a little bit of his story on the impermanence episode that we just released, it's very real. Like grief is real. and But there's also just this fascinating business side to it. And environmental consequence to how we can current how the funeral industry works. So we're going to get an in-depth education on that. How does that industry work? And whoa, it's an industry? Like I, I remember thinking like, holy moly, like I didn't even realize that, but it makes so much sense. It's the one thing that we all need, right? <laughs> Service-wise. And so we're going to start with her talking about what that light bulb moment was to even come to that place of thinking about this industry and what she wanted to do as an entrepreneur to shift that for the environment, for the earth and for the people. 
So there, the foundation was laid for years and years with my family, with the way I grew up. And then the light bulb moment was when I was in graduate school for architecture. So in a design mind, thinking about systems that humans create, not just buildings, but like all of what you see when you look out in a city, architecture is about that creation of systems and structures and infrastructure. And and then I was thinking about mortality because I had turned 30. <laughs> I thought I was so yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time you're like, whoa, age? That's totally. A I was like, oh, I'm going to die someday because I just turned 30, I turned 30. And then I had two young kids and one of them was in that like super cute stage. I think he was two. And he was like every morning he would be a little older. And I was like, wow, he's growing so fast. He's aging so fast in front of my very eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, I, too, am aging at that rate. Oh, no. Like, So anyway, mortality hit me like a ton of bricks, thanks to my kids. And I was in that design mind. And then my friend knew I was circling around this, these ideas. And she asked, she called me and she said, had I heard about the practice that farmers use to compost cows in agriculture, whole cows. And I was like, oh, wow. So that was a light bulb moment for me. And I went home on vacation from school to my parents. I remember like visiting my parents and I was like, I'm going to make my thesis about composting humans. I'll make a building. I'll design a building in which compo- humans are composted. And my parents were like, sounds great. So I founded recomposed in 2017. So the first few years were about just purely, well, not just, but mostly about telling a story of what we could do. So here's the problem, this toxic polluting industry, this funeral industry that doesn't hold meaning for lots and lots of us. Okay, that's a problem that's not even very hard to explain. People are like, oh, we get it. Like, don't. The bar is low. We don't like that. great, here's the solution. We're going to create places where we compost humans and create soil. That soil will go back to our urban fabrics and you'll live on in the form of nature. And for a few years, it was mostly telling that story and gathering the community of people who were like, yes, this is a great idea. We should have this. I'd say broadly speaking, in the middle years, it was, okay, what do we need to do? We need to figure out, we need to legalize it. Okay, how do we do that? We need to prove it's safe for humans, not just cows. Okay, I mean, we're dead, but, you know, safe as in terms of the soil output. How do we do that? And so that was mostly legal strategy and then our pilot with the soil sciences, biologists and university. And now, as you pointed out, Omar, it's like, okay, you have a team, you have clients who you're serving, you have payroll, you have competitors. But we also have the next, like, the next goal, which is not making this happen, but it's making it the default for the the U.S. instead of cremation. It started with imagination. It wasn't like a business model and legal. It was like building community and like, okay, how do we do this? And recognizing 
just yeah the challenge of how much land cemeteries take and the embalmment process is apparently very toxic and the sort of chemicals that they use and so how do we find these healthier alternatives for something that we're all going to have to experience like that's the wild part and there's eight billion of us on this planet and so when you think about that generation after generation like this is something that's so fundamental So if 2.7 million Americans die every year, something has to be done with every one of those bodies. And for a long time, the funeral industry was burying everyone, almost everyone, in a conventional manner. And when I say conventional, it's embalmed body, wood or metal casket, concrete grave liner buried in the ground with the top, and then a headstone on top and the upkeep of that cemetery in perpetuity. You get your own plot forever. That is so American hubris to be like, well, we've got lots of land. Let's just, you can buy this thing forever. Anyway, since 2000, cremation has been the most popular choice in the U.S. So we just hit like this interesting tipping point where fewer and fewer people want to be buried. They don't live near their family plots is a big reason why. They don't want the expense. It's very expensive to be buried in that manner. Or they just don't like the idea of taking up land. Or they're in like the case of New York City, there isn't any more land for burial. So all of those reasons are leading Americans to be cremated. More than 50% are now cremated. And in 30 years, it's expected that 80% will be cremated. So what I'm getting at is what does it mean if almost 2.7 million people are being cremated every year? using fossil fuels, emitting particulates, mercury, and carbon into the atmosphere. And I truly think anyone for whom cremation is important and meaningful, perhaps because of faith or for some other reason, should have that option. But by and large, people are choosing cremation as a default. So they're choosing a polluting option as a default, not because it's meaningful or connected to their faith. And how much are we talking, Katrina, like if I want to be buried versus cremated? Cost-wise? Yeah. So a burial is going to start, it really depends on where you are, but you can't really have one for under $12,000. And if you're in New York City, like you can't find a plot, but if you paid for one, it'd be like a million bucks. So it's very expensive to be buried. And the upselling can happen in a conventional burial setting where, oh, well, which casket do you want? Those caskets could run. Pick a number. They might start at $5,000 and go up from there. Cremation is typically more or less expensive. In many places, you can find a cremation for $1,000, but the average in the U.S. with the service, sometimes a rental casket or a cremation casket, an urn is about $6,000. This is something I never thought we'd talk about on the podcast. <laughs> Like how gratitude blooming got to like the cost of a casket is amazing. But these are just these real life conversations I know that I haven't really had in my own family. And so I really appreciate just the chance to sort of think about this, not in a moment of pressure, but in a moment of like, well, what, how do I want to sort of think about end of life and have some intention around it? It reminds me of this dinner party I hosted a couple of years ago. I mean, probably more than three years ago, maybe four, where I just learned about this organization called Death Over Dinner, 
where they have this beautiful format on their website where you can kind of type in like, what's your goal for wanting to talk about death? And in some cases, it was people that had lost someone near and dear and wanted a way to process that grief. And in other cases, it was just like, like this conversation, like people were like, I have never thought about this. I want to start feeling comfortable thinking about this. And I brought together 10 in my friend circle and some of them, most of them had lost a parent and, or dealing with some kind of grief, but also people that were curious to have that conversation. And it's fascinating to understand the logistics around that for, from people who have gone through it with a loved one. Like having to make these decisions when you're in grief is so hard. And then for others of us, it was like, well, what is the way that we want to honor ourselves as we transition, honor the impermanence of life? And so, yeah, I hope for our listeners, it just... One, it's like an education. And two, it's like, yeah, what would you like to, how do you want to celebrate your life? How do you want to honor your life? So it's just fascinating to remember that experience. And it definitely got me thinking and more comfortable sharing like, yeah, it'd be great to just be in the ground. And that's always how I felt like in life. And I'm like, why not in death too? And she kind of reassured me like, oh, wow, this is Katrina's business, like this is legal. Because <laughs> in the past, I was like, I don't know how legal that is. If you don't want that box, that's doesn't decompose. <laughs> well, and I think it's just so fascinating. Like she talks a little bit and hopefully we're going to share a clip about that process because it's fast. I didn't realize how quickly things can break down biologically. Beautiful segue, Omar. Yeah, like. Translation between a cow decomposing and the human, I, you know, when she brought that up, I was like, okay, well, so what, how does that translate? <laughs> so we're going to hear a clip of her talking about that. Yeah, so my best description of composting generally is when you walk into a forest and you're walking on the pine needles and you dig down three inches, those pine needles, sticks, leaves, and your errant chipmunk are all decomposing. Dead organic material is decomposing, and three inches down is that rich topsoil. That's exactly the process that we are mimicking at Recompose. And we're doing so specifically in our vessel system, so each person gets their own vessel. It's like a hotel for the dead. Sometimes I say that, too. So, And we lay first a mixture of the perfect balance of plant materials, wood chips, alfalfa, and straw. These make up the right balance of carbon and nitrogen materials. So we lay a bed of that in the vessel, place the person's body on top of that bed, and fill the vessel with more of the same. So you're cocooned in this plant material. And then over the next 30 days, microbes do all the work breaking down your body and that plant material. I mean, there's plenty more I can say about the process, but that right there is the key. We're mimicking what's happening on the forest floor, and we're doing so in in a vessel that we've designed. So, wait, can I let me get this straight? It only takes 30 days for the human body to decompose and become topsoil? Over After 30 days, what remains in that vessel looks like mulch. We what? then remove the soil, 
our operators screen for non-organics, like if you have a titanium hip. And also there's bone fragments left, which we reduce mechanically, similar to how cremation works. That's when bone gets reduced during after cremation. And then everything goes into what we call a curing bin. It's a big box that's aerated for about another 30 days. So really two months is the best. 60 days, but it means not that long of a time period. No. We also have this cool thing called pre-compose, which is where people can prepay for their future death care with us. We have over 1,200 people who've done so. And one of the coolest things about it, from my perspective, is 25% of those people, those pre-composed members, are under the age of 49. Which you can prepay for your cremation with the funeral home down the road, too. But I pretty much doubt that a bunch of 30-somethings are doing that. And yet they're doing that with recomposed as pre-composed members. So sign me up. Yeah, I mean, when you sort of present it that way, we're like, oh, who wouldn't want to be sort of part of a lush forest floor? And I think about the Native American sayings around seven generations, right? Like, how do we think ahead? How do we think about our ancestors? And what did they leave us? And what are we leaving for the next generation? And you think about the importance of a healthy planet and how important soil is to a healthy planet. One of our upcoming guests is with Kiss the Ground and looking at regenerative farming and how healthy soil is part of a climate solution. Soil can actually store carbon. And so it's just all these things are interrelated and so important to really address. And these people are. So as we wind down this podcast, there were a couple ideas I had about what the practice was going to be. And I think what I'm going to leave it as is really thinking about what do you want your legacy to be? What is that word? What do you want to leave behind? Is it a passion that you have cultivated in your life? Is it what you want your friends and loved ones to remember about how you showed up for them? Is it about how you took care of the earth? Anything that gets you to start thinking about how beautiful this life is, how we can cherish it by thinking about what is it that we want to leave behind. Just that idea of seven generations, biologically or energetically. So Omar and Arlene, I'm curious what comes up for you just even considering that. It doesn't have to be your final answer. But just in this moment, like, what is that word that the lilac branch is saying to you around this? Well, I love this story. I love this might be one of my favorite episodes. (laughs) And I have to say, it makes me really what comes up for me is I would like to leave no trace behind. And I don't know. That's just where I'm landing after hearing this. And I'm stunned, too, about the 30 days. It takes 30 days. That's it. It's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Yeah, the word that comes to me is just love. And I think about just, you know, my wife, who I've known for a very long time, and I remember 
it was high school and she would talk about unconditional love. And I was like, what does that mean? And she said, unconditional love means no strings attached, right? The love just is not because not if you do this, the love is there. And so I just, I feel like this process is no strings attached. It's like, we're not conditioning, like we're not making this sort of permanent. We're just like, no, we're coming back to the cycles of life. And I think Arlene that leave no trace behind is definitely a great symbol of that, of love of like, Hey, I want to make room for the next person. It's so funny because the word that came up for me was timelessness and not to make anything permanent, right? Like what Arlene, the leave no trace, but it is an interesting kind of paradoxical energy of like something that mattered that transcends time and space is what comes to me. So I love that we can have wholeness in our three legacies. <laughs> wholeness is the new wellness. So this is, as she said, like there's, this is 30 year olds are now thinking about it because we're reframing the conversation. And I think this is part of why we have the gratitude blooming podcast. So we, again, just appreciate folks for listening. Please give us a review, um, particularly if on Apple podcast, anywhere where you listen, we really enjoy holding these unique conversations and look forward to more. Yeah, and if you're interested in getting your own card deck to practice, feel free to go to our shop at gradtoblooming.com where you can get the card deck or the new note cards for journaling on each card. Cheers. Wishing you all well. Cheers. <laughs>